Hey, hope you are doing well. It's so nice to worship together. And it's so nice to have some rain, isn't it? Um, for all of you who didn't know what to do, you know, this is like living in um, a Seattle or something, but it's, it's so nice. And it's really nice to worship together, especially with our students and um, all of you here. Uh, it, it's really a highlight for us. And um, today we start a new series in uh, 2 Timothy 1. And uh, 2 Timothy, the whole book, uh, letter, we're going to be going through it, but it is Paul's last letter that he writes. And uh, if you knew your time was limited, what would you say? This is what he says. Um, I, had a, I was kind of reminiscent, uh, and I remembered a story about a mother. Erin um, Cramp was her name, and she had, um, was diagnosed with cancer, and she had six months to live. She was 36. She had a daughter, Peyton, who was six at the time. And so uh, this mom started recording, videotaping um, uh, things, hours and hours of advice and messages to her six-year-old daughter, Peyton. And so she would tell her um, sometimes uh, somewhat trivial things like, you know, what um, you should, how you should wear your makeup and how you should do your hair. And she would tell things like that. And I was watching this this week. And I tell you, it was like someone was just cutting onions at our office. I mean, it was just me by myself in the office, but um, if you want to go home, have a good cry. You know, you could go uh, watch it on YouTube. But, you know, and, and then she gets to the serious things. And she's telling her, like, who, um, what kind of man she should marry. How, what kind of a mom she should be. And by this time, it's just, you know, there's just onions everywhere in the office, right? Um, and she's telling, even to the point that your dad, uh, you know, should marry someone else and you need, you know, another mom and, you know, by this time, it's just over, right? For me, anyways, uh, I was watching this. Very heartfelt, and I started watching the videos, and um, they did a follow-up. She had just graduated from Duke, and, um, and they were following up on this and what life was like for her, what the impact of the video were, and so on and so forth. The dad had gotten remarried, so they had the, uh, the new wife there, which was real awkward. But anyway, so it was uh, the, the whole point. Um, and then a few years back, uh, Randy Posh, who was a professor at... Um, uh, Carnegie Mellon University, and he, he gave his last lecture when he had pancreatic cancer, and it became um, uh, spread all over. He wrote a book and everything, but he spent, uh, uh, I think, an hour, and I remember watching this several times, lecturing about life, about having fun in life and you know, being adventurous in life, and he gave his last talk. And all of these that now we, because of the Internet, have access to are very personal. They're very emotional. They're from the heart. Every word matters because their time's limited and so you want to listen to that and and Paul obviously didn't have a video camera or didn't have um, something to record it in but he did it in the form of a letter and when you read this letter in 2nd Timothy you can feel his heart you could feel his love as he is now at the end of his life and he talks about running finishing the race and he has fought the good fight later on in the in the letter but even in the beginning, he now is reminiscing. Even in verses 1 through 7, over and over, he remembers, he remi he's reminded, he remembers, he keeps looking back. And he writes this letter to Timothy, his disciple, his younger brother, Timothy, who became a pastor. Timothy, who is mentioned in Acts chapter 12, or Acts chapter 16, rather, when Paul takes him along his journeys. Timothy is this guy. 
and he talks about this, and he tells him, and the main message he tells him is to keep fanning the flame that he has in his heart for God. Keep doing what he's called to do. He's a young pastor. Scholars have um, thought that maybe he was timid. They look at bits and pieces of the, uh, of the Bible where he's mentioned. Uh, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he tells them to accept them, uh, to make them feel at ease, and maybe he was not as bold as Paul was, and uh, we're not sure. But he talks to him, and he remembers it. I remember your tears. I want you to live in this way, and this is very important. And he gives him this letter, and he tells him to fan the flame, the fire that God had put in his heart for him. And really, that's the message for us today, to fan this flame. Uh, you know, he starts by recalling all the things that God has given to us in verse 2. Uh, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, Jesus, and Christ Jesus our Lord. He has all these things. And then he looks back at the spiritual heritage of what we have. And he says in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors, for example. He looks back at his ancestors. You know, we're starting the study on Daniel on Wednesday nights, which uh, I want to encourage you to come out. You know, don't, don't go home just to, you know, watch Netflix or whatever, or board games. You know, come out and study the word and have this time. But Daniel, if you grew up in church, you know he was your top five story, right? Daniel, the lions, right? Daniel, and he, he defeated the lions, right? And how great that is. And for some reason, your parents named you Daniel, and, um, you know, and, and we use that maybe the most popular name. And, uh, but he is part of our heritage. You know, a couple, last month I was reading through Esther, and I was reading through the story of Queen, the Queen there, and, and what Esther was doing for the people, for the Jewish people of the day, and really her courage, and she's part of our heritage. And he says, so, he says, as did my ancestors. You're not alone in this. You are not alone in following after God and doing the things of God. He also reminds him in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Um, many assume that in Acts 12, on Paul's first missionary uh, journey, that they came to faith. They were uh, uh, Jewish women who believed in the Old Testament God, and then they came to understand who the Messiah was. And now the, the faith has been passed on to Timothy. And a lot of you, your faith was passed on by the generation before. A lot of you have had godly moms and dads and grandparents and maybe even generations that have loved God and have dealt with faith and serving God and some of your highlights of your childhood has all happened at church. And you have that, he says. And so people have gone before you and he's reminding Timothy, you have a God who gives you all that you need. You have a heritage of all these people who have gone before you. Even your grandmother and your mother have fought this fight. I have fought this fight. Now you fan that fire into big flames in your life. He calls them to action now. You might hear this and say, well, isn't this a, a manual for pastors? Or isn't this something that only requires, is required a pastor since Timothy was a pastor? You know, uh, Donald Guthrie in his commentary on 2 Timothy, he says this, every Christian worker Engaged in however small a task requires assurance that God never commissions anyone to a task without imparting a special gift appropriate for it. Every 
Christian worker. No matter how small we think it is, it is big. And we ought to be calling, uh, recalling those moments and really fanning that into flame. You know, uh, I'm sure you have these highlights when you think back on your, uh, your Christian life. And maybe there's a moment, uh, maybe it was at a camp or maybe it was at another country uh, maybe it was a moment at church and you had that holy moment and it's a, it's a memory. And he's saying here, let's go back to where you were. Don't forget what you did there and what, what has brought you and sustained you here. And maybe, you know, life has kind of gone by and you thought, well, um, you know, I, I'm forgetting about it. He says, no, let's remember this. And I think back on my moments. And this, this week as I was preparing this message, I was thinking back about some of the the big moments in my life, the holy moments, those moments where uh, I am reminded of what had happened, what, why God had called me. And you know, it, it tells us here in verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So the moment he remembers is getting ordained into ministry. He, he laid on him his hands, and it represented the authority that he had now to go preach and I remember getting ordained in 1999 and at being this, in this ceremony, and I had to wear this big black gown. At that time, the Presbyterian church that I was getting ordained, they made you wear a big black gown, um, and uh, it made you now a pastor, I guess. You know, but I, I still have that gown somewhere, and you have to wear it, and they would lay hands. And I remember one of the pastors was like extra laying hands. He wouldn't let his hands off me. He was like shaking and praying, and um, one of those moments. But one of the, I think one of the first moments I remember um, was my third year in college. At my third year in college, uh, I had dedicated my life to Christ my sophomore year in college. By my third year in college, I was involved at church. I was teaching Sunday school and doing things at church. And I became the college group president in my junior year. Now, this wasn't, uh, from a human perspective, this wasn't a big, great esteem like you know, I was, it was a, a, you know, a tight race, but I was more godly, and I won. it wasn't like that, okay? The scene was, um, the pastor said, okay, uh, you, you, hey, hey um, you know, Daniel, you want to be uh, president? And, no, I don't want to be president. No, okay, okay, uh, Abraham, you want to be president? No, I don't want to be president. Uh, Peter, you want to be president? No, I don't want to be president. Okay, Steve, you're president. And for me, it was like, you know, for me, but at that moment, was like, hallelujah, like, God has now let me have this office of president, and wow, and I was so um, I took it dead serious, and I became college group president. I have to go there. I have to be there Friday nights at the Bible studies and so on. And uh, one of the activities we had was to go do a homeless feeding. And a lot of you have done things like that, and you end up, um, you know, we were going to Skid Row. We were going to feed the homeless. It was Saturday, and it was like at six in the morning. I don't know why it's at six in the morning. Like let the homeless people sleep in. Like let me sleep in. But it was at six in the morning. I still remember. And then the night at Bible study on Friday night, my pastor said, hey, Steve, come here. Because uh, tomorrow, um, you have to preach. I said, me? I was like, hey, man, do your job. You're the pastor. I'm the student, right? I was thinking that, but uh, I didn't say that. I was like, me? He goes, yeah, you have to preach. You get five to ten minutes, no longer than ten minutes. Um, I said, what do we preach on? He goes, preach the gospel. Hey, you know, um, uh, how, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to see him one day, and I'm going to say, hey, that was really irresponsible of you. But... Um, <laughs> But at that time, I was like, oh, hallelujah. This is like God has given me an opportunity to preach. And I was really excited. I was so nervous and excited, I barely slept an hour that night. He didn't even give me notice. He told me Friday. And it was the next morning. I remember getting up and getting out there. I prepared 
papers and papers and proof texted every verse. Remember, there, there was no internet at the time. Youth group, I, went, I lived before the internet. I'm that old. Um, and uh, there was no Google. I couldn't look up stuff. I had to prepare this. And I remember going now. And the pastor who did the, the homeless feeding, he pulled up in his van and he was setting up tables and he had everything set up. He was setting it up and he told us, um, go and talk, the college kids, he told us, go and talk to the people. Go and talk to these homeless men and women. Go talk to them. And I'm, the person I encountered, the first person I encountered was a Mexican man. He spoke no English. I took Spanish from eighth grade all the way through college. My, I, my Spanish was there, uh, good enough. So I started talking to him in Spanish. Oh, hola, como esta? You know, and I was like, oh, I'm pretty good, right? Um, like, you know, seven years of Spanish, like, you know, and I was like, como esta? You know, but I was so stressed about what I was, had to preach. The question I asked him after I asked him what, remember, these are homeless people that live on the street. They live on the street. And you know what this dumb third-year college student asked the guy? I said, oh, donde vive? Where do you live? And he's like, en la calle. And I was like, Oh, that means street. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, gosh. Like, Steve. Like, oh, gosh. And I remember just walking away from him. I, was, I didn't know what to say. I walked away. And now we had to preach. And these guys are just lining up. They know the routine. And they lined up on the wall. And there's um, now uh, it was trickling in. And there's 20, 30, 40, you know, 60, 80 people there. Um, and now it was time. Right? Before the food was served, I, they had to listen to the sermon. It was kind of like the... Um, Timeshare, you know, the presentation before you get the free gift. So it was kind of like that. Um, but so I, I go up and preach, and I was trembling, and I, I had my notes in my Bible. I didn't make eye contact, and I, I preached the gospel to the best of my ability. Preach. Ten minutes. Done. The pastor who's in charge comes out, and he says, all right, who of you would like to receive Christ? Now, you've heard the gospel. Who would you like to accept Christ? And this is really a stressful moment, right? Because now I, I've preached, and now he's going to see if they're going to grade me basically on my sermon, and then they start raising their hands. Now, on the humanistic side, you say, oh, yeah, well, they, it's part of the whole getting the food process, isn't it? You know, isn't that the part of? But on my side, I was like, these people are raising their hands. And he told me, you know, please pray for them right now to accept Christ. I wasn't prepared for any of that. And I remember praying for that, and it was one of those holy moments where. I dedicated my life that, God, I will go and I will preach. I will do what I do. God, if you do this with what little I can do, I said, I will do this. I'm going to be a pastor. If you can do this from a college kid here, I want to do that. And I, I think back on it often, and I'm, I'm glad. I, I tell people about that story. I tell them, uh, you know, God put me in these situations. I could preach in front of anyone. Um, I, I'm not nervous anymore. It's, it's, it was training grounds. It was very difficult. Um, but it was one of those moments. And for all of us, we need to go back to it. And he says to fan into the, the flame and make it bigger. Remember those moments and go back to it you know, sometimes life happens and the worries of the world come about and it just kills it. It's water on our fire. And the world keeps wanting to dump water onto our fire, but no, we have to keep fighting. You know, the one thing, and, and the, what he tells us at the end in verse 7 is he tells us that when he tells Timothy, 
God didn't give you fear, but he gave you now what I call the kind of the tripod in doing ministry, right? And um, uh, verse 7, God uh, gave us a spirit, not a fear, but a spirit of what? Power, love, and self-control. These three things stand. You need all three to serve God. And the Spirit of God is in you, and he gives us those things. Um, what does fear do, first of all? Fear is the water that gets dumped onto our fire. Fear, it takes, first of all, power, and it says you can't use that. It, it won't happen. How many of us have, uh, you know, I remember growing up swimming in the local public pool where I lived in Northern California. It was a public pool. we go out in the summer, and we swim there. And they would have these diving boards. You, remember, you know, those diving boards. There was like the low one. And no one cared about the low one, but there was the high one. And there was people that would, you know, show off and do things. And they would dive. And there's always a kid that would get to the edge. And they're not sure. And they're causing traffic. You know, like people are waiting, like just jump. And I remember I, I, I didn't like going on even the low end. But I would judge the ones on top. Like, come on, just jump. Come on, man. There's water. And I'm on the side holding on, like, come on, um, uh, what's wrong with you, you know? And uh, it's easy to be an onlooker in that way. Um, but he says it's a spirit, not a fear. You know, there's a line from, uh, a quote from Franklin Roosevelt, who says the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. A fear, it stifles us, fear, it freezes us up, fear gives us doubt, fear, um, makes us lose hope. Fear makes us ask questions like, what if this happens and what if that happens? And our imaginations run rampant. There is no place for fear for the Christian. It's interesting. You get to Revelation 21, for example. Being cowardly is listed amongst all these other sins. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, uh, sorcerer. He says it's that kind of sin. For the Christian to say, I am so afraid I can't do anything. What if this happens? And what if they say this? And what if they reject me? For the Christian to say that is to tell God that he's a liar. And it's listed in that group. You know, uh, it's illustrated. When we spend time with God, and we might be born afraid, but when we spend time with Christ and he rules our lives, uh, we get more courage. Fear goes away. It doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. A great example of this we see is, Peter, um, in, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry when he had died and he had rose again and he meets him in the water and Peter is already fishing. Remember the scene in John 21? And uh, he sees Jesus is making them food um, in his way of just welcoming Peter back if he, he had denied Christ three times. And he, what does he do? He jumps um, out of the water. Right? And it's something peculiar. He puts on his outer garment, and he now jumps into the water. We see a progression of this, these lessons he taught in the water. And I just want to highlight this a little bit. We see in Mark chapter 4 the famous story of uh, the disciples on the boat when the squall is rising up, and now the boat is shaking, and Jesus is asleep on the cushion. He is sleeping there, or at least he's I think he was maybe acting like he was sleeping, thinking, I want to see how these guys deal with this. Moms and dads, you know what that's like. We do that sometimes. Um, uh, and uh, so this is happening, right? And uh, it's shaking, and they're terrified. And verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Right? Verse 41, They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this and that even the wind and the sea obey him? Later on, we see his fear level decreasing in Peter. Because later on, uh, in, in Mark chapter 6, they feed the thousands. Jesus sends them on the boat to go along. He goes to the hillside to rest. Jesus is tired. He needs time with the Father. He goes away. And then now there's a story when Jesus walks on water and invites Peter to come out. We know the story, right? Uh, Mark 6, 48, and he saw uh, that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And you remember, and after, Peter says, If it's you, call me out. And he calls him out and he walks on water towards Jesus till he sees the winds and the waves around him. And then we get now to the resurrected Jesus in John 21. And he calls him, disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So this is John telling Peter, it's the Lord. Look, it's the Lord. He's cooking a food for us. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Kind of a, a peculiar verse, interesting verse. You ask the question, why does he put on the outer garment when he's going to go for a swim? Like, wouldn't you want to take that off and keep it dry? Why does he do that? Um, some have argued, and I think this is true, that by this point, his view of Christ was he's God and he's covering up. The angels covered up before God in Isaiah. He's covering up his shame. But maybe, and just maybe, the last time he remembers seeing the Lord, he stepped out of the boat and he walked over to him. And maybe Peter thought that he was just going to walk right over like last time. And this is someone whose fear level and fear is often seen in a person like Peter, who is loud, who is obnoxious at times, who reacts, who is emotional, um, and they just freak out because they are afraid. Um, and you see Peter's fear level going down, and that's for all of us. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of these three things, the tripod of ministry, and whatever God has called you to do. And maybe you are struggling in your faith, you're like, how am I going to live for God? Maybe, you know, at school, just praying before lunch is a struggle. Because the people are looking at you. Or maybe you're, you have friends around you who, who are using certain language and they talk in a certain way. You don't know what you should do around them. Or maybe it's at the workplace. And the way that people live and talk and the things that they enjoy, you don't know what you should do. And, you know, maybe you're serving as a community group leader. And you often feel, I don't deserve this. Maybe Satan is always tapping you on the shoulder. Who are you to go do that? And I, he does that to me all the time. Who are you to go and do this? Remember, he gives us the spirit of power, love, and self-control. And let me highlight these three for us before we wrap up. Power. Uh, power is ability. Power is energy. Power lets us function. Right? You think about this. It doesn't matter what kind of options you have what kind of phone that you have, right? We, we all have that point where you forgot to charge and that red battery comes on, you have 20%, right? 
right? Um, and then it's going down and you are not panicking. Where is the power? I got to find some power. Because this without power is just paperweight, right? It's useless. We need this. It doesn't matter what we have, what we know, we need his power. What fear does is it throws water on that power and says, oh, you can't do anything. Who are you to do this? They're going to reject you. Why would you do that? You look dumb. You sound dumb. Why would you do that? But we have power. We're able to do these things. You know, um, he talks often about authority in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. You know, he's all authority has been given to me, and he's now relaying it to us. Now go, therefore, make disciples. You have that kind of power with Jesus. Not only that, you have the ability to love. Here, it's not just about, well, you grew up in a loving home, a nurturing home, so you could love. It's a supernatural love. And these three come, and it's just like the stand, right? The bottom three legs hold it up. This is what ministry is about. You may be powerful. You may have abilities. And a lot of us, unfortunately, only pray for that. Selfish abilities. A lot of athletes, they put Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And they think it's about them succeeding on the field. But he says, no, you have the power now to love. You have the ability to love. It is a supernatural thing to love your enemies. It is a supernatural thing to love the lost. When Jesus goes and calls Matthew and the disciples uh, and his friends, tax collectors and sinners, the Bible tells us, it was a supernatural act, a love that is out of the world. Why did everyone freak out when he did that? Here is someone who eats with sinners. Here is someone who hangs out with those people, the unlovable people. It is the Spirit of God that allows us to love in this way. came across this quote this week. I shared it with our staff this morning in our prayer meeting. C.S. Lewis says this, We meet no ordinary people in our lives. When the Spirit of God lives in us, we understand that I meet no one who is just a normal, average person. Everyone is very special. Everyone is extraordinary. Everyone has a story. Everyone is loved by God. This is the love that he gives us. Now, when we have fear, fear of rejection, fear of looking dumb, whatever it is, we have this fear, it takes the love out. You say, I don't want to act upon this. Oh, they don't need my help. Who am I to go and help them? Who am I to go and say, I'll pray for them? I'm not good enough. It's the fear that throws water on that fire. And the last thing he tells us here, the, on the tripod here, the third leg is self-control. It's actually, uh, the original language, it's correct thinking to understand what you ought to do and to do it. Self-control. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but a power and love and self-control. We are called as Christians, and there's some that are very liberal in their view. And I've heard um, John Piper talk about this, where those who are very liberal in their view uh, in the church they're all about social justice, and there is no personal holiness. They're about going and helping the people who are suffering, but they don't care. They live a lifestyle, whatever they want. Anything goes. And then on the flip side, on the far other end of the, the Christian spectrum, you have those that are ultra-conservative, that it's all about the rules and the peep and the right books and the right terminology and the right activities and all the don'ts you ought to now avoid. But they think the world is the enemy. 
They don't want them coming in. They don't want people in the church that are like this. I believe what Jesus wants for the church and for us. The biblical understanding that I am self-controlled, I am growing in holiness, I am saying no to things that are against God's will, yes to things that God wants for me, and I'm loving the world around me, and I do this only by the power of the Spirit, because I cannot do it on my own. I close with this quote uh, from C.S. Lewis again. He writes in his little book, Screwtape Letters, and in this book, it's a fictional book, he writes... Um, about a senior level demon or the, the devil now training the apprentice little devils in a way of how to attack Christians. So in his, uh, only the way that he could, he writes about their perspective and it, um, it, it's very helpful for us. And one of the things that a senior devil tells the junior devil is this, the more often your subject, whoever Christian you're after, your subject, feels without acting, the less he will be able to act, and in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. The more often he just feels it without doing anything, after a while, his soul will grow numb. He won't care. I don't care if that guy's lonely. I don't care if she is uh, a victim. I don't care. I don't care. Who cares? And after all, I just, just kind of go along with the flow. I, my prayer is that our fire would now be burning hot. It will be white hot for Jesus Christ. Don't wait for an occasion. Don't wait for a retreat. Don't wait for certain things. That just today, say, God, I'm reminded again that the people before me lived in this way. And Jesus Christ, you give me so much. I want to live for you. I want to do something for you. And whatever God has called you to do, whatever burden fire he's put in your heart, would you pour more fuel to it and let it consume you? Let it take over your life. My prayer for our church is that we would have more passionate, white-hot Christians who love God and are living out his will. This is Paul's last words to his apprentice, God's words to us. So let's live in this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we often run to what is convenient. Uh, we like things that are casual, that cost us nothing. But Lord, the cross of Christ reminds us that there is nothing casual or convenient about following you. So Lord, we're reminded of that. Lord, there's a fire in our hearts, God. And we, uh, whether it was uh, years back or whether it was a few months back, God, we, we were passionate for the things of you. And God, we want to keep fueling that fire. For some of us, God, it, it's for the lost people in other parts of the world. God, that was a passion we had. We wanted to burn. We want to do something. Even in this crazy life stage that we might be in. For some of us, God, it's just our, our personal holiness to hate sin. Would you help us to do that? One thing we don't want to do, Lord, is to be reminded of all the things that were on our hearts and to simply have a feeling and go away. We don't want Satan to have the victory here. We want to live for you, God. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name.